it's this podcast. How many times have you searched conspiracy theories or uh, you're right conservative? Oh, you're propaganda. so right. <laughs> you me? Like, yeah, it's totally that. <laughs> Welcome to episode 53 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. My name is Kenny. I'm Sherry. And I'm Rory. It's election season. Yay! Yay. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> Where Even we though go it happened to too early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. So it's uh, in Canada, it's election season. And by the time this podcast goes out, we'll probably already know who, yes. <laughs> who won the election. Mm-hmm. At least it doesn't last forever like the U.S. The U.S. just never stops with with election season. It's always. That's true. Yeah. They are already talking about they're already talking about the election in the U.S. right now. I'm just like, it's, it's not even going to happen for, what, another three years? Yeah. Yeah, Biden's just newly in there. <laughs> are they that tired exactly. of him already? <laughs> Some people are, I think. Uh, they want, they want change immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's a good thing that at least we we have a, some uh, limitations on, you know, how early you can start promoting uh, yourself in the, in the next <laughs> election. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much election season and there's lots of news going around and obviously uh, the debates have happened already and unfortunately london ontario was in the news again oh, <laughs> from man. the election how embarrassing and not for I good know. news i was like why why what's wrong with our city <laughs> or the people I, I should say though i did read um just today that the uh person that was charged because he was throwing rocks at our prime minister. Um, he was from St. Thomas. So I'm going to put the blame on St. Thomas this time. Ah, so. He's also yes. um, some sort of member of the PPC. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what. I don't think he's an MP, like somebody who's running no, for an he, MP. He was, he was, well, yeah, he was a party leader. Uh, party leader of some kind, yeah. Yeah, well, essentially, you know, a, a part of the organization uh, organizing or helping uh, their local uh, candidates uh, mm. promote themselves and things like that. And through rocks the, at, at Yeah, I think yeah. the PPC did drop him though after this incident came to light. So he's not part of their party anymore. They did. They yeah. did. Yes. Yeah. But you know, these type of uh, occurrences in terms of like throwing rocks at <laughs> candidates. I, it feels very American. Do mm. you guys feel the same way? It just feels like this is like something you would expect in America, not necessarily in Canada. Mm. I mean, I feel like what you're getting at is it, it definitely feels beneath us and the you know, dignity that we've held in our political system, I thought, until recently. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've got rose-colored glasses on and people have been doing this sort of thing for decades now. I don't know. I think it's really stemmed from the uh, extreme extremism that we've seen in the states, like um, how they're really, really um, far right uh, people have kind of come out 
with these conspiracy theories and, and all of this. And then we've seen that kind of translate. It's this ripple effect that we feel in Canada where we've got people now who believe in these conspiracy theories um, and who become extremist as well. It's it's sort of an interesting phenomenon. I think with COVID, we've seen this bubbling of tension uh, really rising to the surface in, in all aspects um, of our social lives. So you think it's like uh, another case of the emboldened extreme right who's just, you know, ever since the Trump era, they felt like they can come out of their holes and voice their extreme opinions and become more prevalent in their actions too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and act out. I mean, I mean, these people have always been in our community, but mm-hmm. they didn't have the uh, um, the fortitude to <laughs> actually like act on their uh, their instincts, and now they are definitely acting out. Yeah. Um, and to me, I mean, so today's topic we're talking about voter suppression, but I think it's events like these that really kind of raises some concern and I think uh, some concern with people who may feel unsafe to mm-hmm. uh, even, you know, maybe attend some of these uh, political events or even potentially vote. Um, I had a conversation uh, last night uh, with some people and, you know, a few of them were immigrants and the topic of the rock throwing event came up and, uh, you know, a few people actually raised some concerns that, this is what they would expect back in their home country, you know, mm-hmm. countries where there isn't uh, this well-formed democracy and where people are free to uh, vote. And, you know, they felt some concern because it felt like they were back in a country that uh, was prone to having uh, violence. And, and yeah, I mean, they, they just expected better of Canada. Yeah, you raise a really good point, Kenny. I was usually when I think of voter suppression, I think of it more as, you know, government side and, you know, maybe drawing some funny gerrymandered uh, voting lines to make it so that people's votes don't count quite so much. But Mm. the idea that they're a mob of people waiting around voting polling stations and just, you know, hey, who are you going to vote for? You want to rock to the head? You know, yeah, if that's a reality, that's scary. Yeah, well, here's the thing. So uh, the person I was talking to is obviously a person of color. They raised a concern because they were at the polling booth yesterday and they saw a truck nearby that was uh, um, very anti-Trudeau. Uh, and uh, they had signs everywhere and things like that. And the thing is, um, because he's a person of color, he definitely felt uncomfortable and felt like he could be a target. Because when you think about who is uh, throwing rocks, it's usually white people. <laughs> and uh, the the PPC party, you know, definitely has some racist tendencies and some uh, racist people in their party. And they felt uncomfortable because they felt like, you know, if I walked out of this polling booth, it's pretty clear that I am not likely to be affiliated with the PPC party. <laughs> so, yeah, so that that uh, that that was kind of one of their concerns with uh, all this uh, increase in violence. I don't mean to make light of the situation, but the thought just popped into my head. I I guess you could uh, hedge your bets and show up to the polling station with a MAGA hat or something just so they think you're part of the team, but then vote the way you want to vote anyway. 
<laughs> yeah, but then <laughs> now you face the, uh, the scrutiny of other people. <laughs> that you're as long as the into. left is less violent, we'll be okay. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know if you guys also heard um, the PPC leader getting egged by someone. I feel like I did hear that uh, that he too has been experiencing some of the same or similar treatment that the PM has been getting. Correct. So, uh, so the leader of the PPC party, he was uh, an egg was smashed on his head uh, mm. during a event. Oh, it was during a photo op. The person asked if they could take a photo with him and then Correct. smash the egg on uh, next Very to similar game. to the uh, egg boy incident in mm-hmm. Australia. I don't know if you guys remember that. Right, but, right. Uh, so there's an Australian uh, right-wing party leader um, and a teenager uh, also had a photo op with him but decided he would smash an egg <laughs> on him. Um, so it's one of those, I don't know, for me, while I may not, align or support you know the the ppc party's view i'm i'm not really into all this uh violence i still feel he has a right to not have an egg broken over him when he's on the campaign trail yeah it just feels like we're we're in a position where people are going to start escalating things where Mm -hmm. uh the left feels like they should uh, retaliate uh, because mm-hmm. of uh, you know some of the incidences from the right, and it just feels like it's just going to be lots of back and forth, and we're not really debating ideas here. We're just attacking each other, yeah, and physically attacking each other, which I don't think is okay, mm-hmm. regardless of party for sure. So those are that's the incidents about rocks, but uh, <laughs> uh, there are other ways that. Uh, people may be suppressed from voting, and uh, I guess we'll, we can kind of go through some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Sherry, do you want to kick off, kick us off with one group that may be disenfranchised? Sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you were talking about how people were feeling um, maybe a little bit scared to even go to polling places and and you know put their vote in. Um, because I, I, it sort of reminded me back to, I did a little bit of like history research as well. And, and like, you know, how voting first started in Canada and that sort of thing. Um, and originally, uh, the vote was not secret. So you would say your vote out loud. Um, and that led to a lot of violence. Um, so there was, you know, uh, you might hire a mob person to intimidate your, um, your opponents, uh, and protect you, or, uh, you might get bribed with alcohol and things like that. So, uh, it was a very violent affair and, and all of that. And so that's why the vote was made secret. Um, so that we can cast our votes and not be afraid to, um, to, uh, have those repercussions. Um, so, uh, as I was looking into um, voting rights and things like that and how it first started, I was thinking about uh, marginalized groups who didn't have the vote originally. And so obviously um, that would include women, that would include First Nations, that would include, you know, various people of color, uh, black people, uh, Chinese, Japanese people, 
those sorts of things. Um, so, oh, that's an interesting note. <clears throat> Did you know that it's been almost hundred year anniversary of when uh, women gained the right to vote in Canada? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was nineteen eighteen, where 19, federally yeah. women could. No, vote. you're right. It already has passed. Yeah. What was I have nineteen twenty two written here for something too. I have a few dates here. So 1918 federally was women, but provincially, provincial elections were right. different. And right. Quebec took until 1940 for provincially for women to have the vote, which is ridiculous. Of course it's Quebec. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. As I was reading that, I was like, yeah, that's of course that's Quebec. Yeah. No, that's exactly what my footnote says. It's like, by the close of 1922, all Canadian provinces, except Quebec, had granted full suffrage. I'm like, oh. Well, what's wrong here? <laughs> it's kind of crazy when you think about it, right? It's, it's and there are probably a f- very, very few people left <laughs> a lot that actually went through that period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even feel like that long ago. You know what I mean? Like it's it's amazing how long it took for certain groups to get the vote. Um, so if we're looking at First Nations people, um, eighteen seventy six. Canadian government passed the Indian Act. Uh, While I'm talking, obviously, when I say Indian, this is all government terminology. It's not my terminology, just so that everyone knows it's not okay to use the word Indian anymore. Um, But the government passed what is called the Indian Act. um, And it was meant as this assimilation tool. And I think a lot of us have heard about the Indian Act. Um, it was imposing this, you know, European governance and and rules and laws and, and all of that on the First Nations people. Um, And so originally the act sort of created, um, you know, uh, allowed adult males to vote, but they would have to give up their, um, their First Nations status or their Indian status is what it was Mm. called back then. Um, So they had to be enfranchised if they wanted to vote. And it was only men, adult men. um, But if they were enfranchised, it it meant they were giving up their communities. It meant they were giving up their traditions, their uh, cultures, their treaty rights. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was this big deal if they actually wanted to vote. Um, And it wasn't until 1960 Uh, that those deemed uh, status Indians by the government were able to vote without being enfranchised. It took until 1960. Isn't that just absolutely mind-blowing? Yeah. Absolutely. So when we think about, like, these dates that I'm sort of throwing out here, um, you know, you could think about, you know, in in contrast, the women who... Uh, provincially, it took until 1940 with Quebec, but 1918. Uh, otherwise, um, Chinese Canadians were denied the vote until 1947. Japanese Canadians until 1949. Uh, and Canadians with intellectual disabilities only won the right to vote in 1988, which wow. just seems <laughs> really backwards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But the, but to just uh, view that. Um, that's portrayed um, that you know Canada is a open society. Everyone has equal rights, and there's this uh, this layer of fluff that's put onto Canada and our democratic system. Mm-hmm. You guys want to hear a uh, a postcard of 
anti-suffragette uh, propaganda that existed back uh, in 1908. Oh, sure. boy, do I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to read the text. There's some unflattering caricatures of the women on the left-hand side of this postcard as well. Can you the describe the is... caricatures? Are these women just like, did they paint it, them exactly. as like... They're... Rory, this is a podcast. This is this is a podcast, so you gotta like be very descriptive. I I, I hear paint, you. Paint a picture for us. <laughs> they uh, they're all holding umbrellas, or several of them are holding umbrellas and shaking it in an angry manner. And uh, the one in the front has a very dour expression and a very square jaw. And uh, yeah, they just they. They appear unreasonable, as if I was trying to sum it up in just one word. They look unreasonable. Or as Trump would say, nasty women. Right? Nasty women. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because this is the house that man built. And these are a few of the women of note who say that they want and they will have the vote and think that they ought to have man's support, even although he should have to go short. The sly suffragette who is all on the get and wants all in the house that man built. Far be it for women to stand up and ask to be heard. Like, my God. (laughs) So unreasonable. Taking away from men. Exactly. Men built everything with no help from women. Women contributed nothing, right? Women did absolutely nothing. We just sat there, we drank our tea, and we watched the men build the houses. Just take and take and take. That's all these women ever do. Yeah. Back then, they were just watching their soaps. (laughs) (laughs) The soaps in 1908? (laughs) I'm sure there were some. (laughs) They were watching soap. They were watching soap as it uh, sat in the bath. <laughs> you mean, oh, you mean like actual soap? <laughs> Liter- literal soap. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, who knows what they were doing back then, but they weren't uh, speaking out. That was for sure because they had no vote. <laughs> I feel like this is where all of the whole suppressing of different communities stems from is this idea that they're somehow less worthy or unworthy to have the same voice as the more capable and more true citizen members of the community, the white males, if I may say. No, absolutely. Yeah. So if we're going to continue on with uh, First Nations and and kind of thinking about these barriers that that they come across. Um, So I read a few sort of news articles talking about, you know, the barriers that are involved. Um, one of them obviously, or maybe not obviously is transportation. Um, Mm -hmm. so how do you get to a pole? Um, so if you are a single mother and you have children, um, you may not have a car, so you may be taking the bus, you may be walking. Um, how far away is this polling station? Those sorts of things like travel is so essential. And if you're maybe if you're a single mother, you're working, you know, two, three jobs. um, Are you really going to feel like you have enough energy? Uh, You Mm -hmm. have to make dinner for your children, all these sorts of things. How are you going to get to the voting place? That actually reminds me of uh, do you two remember in 2011, the robocall scandal? I was reading where, about uh, that yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, where the, I do remember the conservative it, 
polling machine or campaign machine sent out calls to people and informed them that their voting station was falsely a lot further away than it actually was, mm-hmm. you know, to try to convince them not to vote. Mm-hmm. That just made me think of that when you were talking about how prohibitively far, just in terms of logistics of planning your day, how am I going to get to the voting station and get back? It just brought that all back to me. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a similar incident in the U.S. Um, and they've now at least started formally charging people. Um, so I think uh, we'll hopefully see some more progress there. But, you know, people are facing actual jail time now because they have uh, essentially disenfranchised people yeah. from voting. Yeah. I remember uh, the Harper government also faced some criticism at the time because they didn't they didn't pursue their investigation of this very thoroughly. It was just like, oh, it, it's a thing that happened, and it didn't happen enough to really affect the mm-hmm. outcomes of the votes, so who cares? But we care. We care, Mr. Former Prime Minister. Well, I think, I mean, that's, you got to ensure the integrity of the voting system, right? And voting system meaning everything, and mm-hmm. including uh, how, uh, making sure you don't have foreign actors or mm-hmm. domestic actors trying to disenfranchise people from voting. Without our election system, what are we really, right? Mm-hmm. It's what makes us Canadians, I think. Yeah. Although now I have political parties spamming me on text messages. I don't know how they got my <laughs> info. They call me every it's time really I weird. go to take a nap. I swear they know <laughs> when I'm going to nap. And they call me. <laughs> I I'm actually really curious as to, like, how did they get my contact info? They have my name and then my phone number. I'm, I'm very, very curious. I'm really curious about why, in terms of just on my Facebook feed, I get almost exclusively conservative political propaganda. I get very little liberal, virtually no NDP, just a really? wall of conservative videos promoting conservative members i'm being bombarded by the ndp (laughs) i don't understand i have an answer for you rory i have an answer it's this podcast how many times have you searched conspiracy theories or uh, you're right conservative oh you're so right like yeah it's totally that it's embedded in my history and now they're using it against me Mm-hmm. They're thinking, oh, this Rory character really likes yeah. our stuff. <laughs> he's bought in. Look at all the, the usual suspects that he's visiting. Yep. <laughs> Mystery yeah. solved. Thank you, Sherry. Now I'll know to, to start frequenting all of the more progressive sites just to balance things out. And maybe I'll get some other parties' political propaganda in my feed. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So... Transportation. (laughs) Um, Also, with First Nations communities, some of these communities are remote or fly in only. Uh, So some First Nations might not even have a polling station in their communities. Um, Mm -hmm. So how do they physically get to a polling station? You know, they can't unless they're going to fly out. Uh, Or they can maybe request a mail-in ballot. But if there's any issues with getting it or getting it back. Like, you know, there's, there's issues there. So for sure, having these remote places uh, for First Nations does not help um, the voting process. Uh, Having the right ID. So 
Rory, before we before we started podcasting, you were talking about how you need to print off some bank statements or yes. whatever so that you have some ID to take to the polls. Um, yes, absolutely. This is, um, I feel like the people who are very uh, judgmental about, oh, well, why can't you just go and vote and bring your proper ID and everything are really falsely appraising how effective our Elections Canada system is at getting you the proper information, like my voter registration went to a previous address. Now I'm in a situation where I have to print out these pieces of mail, and because I'm in, at times, technology inhibited, it's become more of an encumbrance to me than it should. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lack of empathy and a, a utopian vision of how effective our own system is at getting you the proper documents that you need to accomplish voting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like, um, you know, you can't vote if you don't have a driver's license. Driver's license is the easiest way because it has your photo and mm-hmm. address. And that's something you can ah, take to the polls really easily. Additional note, though, my driver's license also contains my previous address. So Which it is, is probably actually, why yeah, the card was it, sent there. <laughs> it could be. It could be. It would just Mm -hmm. be piling on more evidence that I am, in fact, (laughs) cheating the system if I tried to use my driver's license. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this applies, like you said, to the students all the time, though. Students who aren't permanent residents of the city that they're currently living in, they're just going to school there. And so all of their ID is going to be the same as mine. It's going to have an address that isn't the city that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we'll definitely get to talking about students and the barriers that, that come with that. Um, and I'm sure you can speak to that as a student yourself. Or I can. First hand. First hand. Um, so in order to vote, you need, uh, you or you can vote. The easiest way is having that voter ID card and your driver's license. If you don't have those, you'll have to have two pieces of ID. Um, and so they have to have an address on there to say this is who I am. Um, so for first nations people, um, they may not buy into the government of Canada system, right? So they may Mm -hmm. not want to be a part of that system because of, you know, past indiscretions from the government. So they may not have a driver's license, uh, but they may have an Indian status card. Uh, Mm -hmm. so that has only a photo, so it doesn't have your address on it. So then they would have to then find um, something else that has an address on it. Here's where the issues come in. On the reserves, houses often don't have uh, traditional street addresses. So how, you know, how they run their communities is not necessarily conducive to what the Canadian government needs for them to vote, Mm -hmm. right? So if you don't have an address... um, you know, and often, you know, sometimes many people, like a whole family might live in the same house or or a couple families. And um, and so you have to have two pieces of ID that tie yourself to that address. Um, so there is, you know, a significant barrier when it comes to First Nations people and being able to prove that this is the address that you come from. Um, so there have been things that the government has tried to do to help. Uh, So in 2015, you know, to try and help some of this, First Nations governments, homeless shelters and soup kitchens are now able to issue letters, which can serve as one of the required two pieces of ID. Mm. 
So that's a bit of a help, but you still have to go through the trouble of contacting one of these locations uh, to get a letter um, as your piece of ID. Um, and previously, uh, the chief could be at the polling station and vouch for their community members. Uh, so they would, you know, go in the morning and then all of the First Nations community members that would show up, they would say, yes, I know this person. Um, I am stating that I know them. I'm vouching for them. They can vote. Because if you don't have any ID, all of that, uh, if you're struggling to find, you know, um, pieces of ID with an address, you can have somebody vouch for you. That is part of our elections process is you can have somebody vouch. However, um, the laws of voting changed so that now that chief can only vouch for one person. Before they could vouch for all of their community members, now they can only vouch once um, and only if that voter has secondary identification. So in order to vote for First Nations people, you kind of have to buy into the Canadian government in some kind of way, and they have just been so beat down by the Canadian government that I can't imagine why why they would even want to vote because, you know, they've just been so disenfranchised. And yeah, it's sad. I remember, I remember all of this uh, coming up in sometime in 2014 with the Fair Elections Act, again, the brainchild of a Conservative Party minister, to amend the Canada Elections Act to as is the normal line of reasoning, make it more difficult to vote illegally or fraudulently. And the whole basis of it was to remove vouching provisions and make it harder for people to vouch for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and likely on the premise they're trying to um, prevent, you know, illegal voting, right? Of course. Or something like that. Yeah, that's always the pretense. Which, which we always know it's exceedingly rare. Like, <laughs> Yeah. If there's one thing that... Uh, that conservatives and Republicans down south do is they always overinflate the prevalence of fraudulent voting and act like it's a much bigger issue than it is to create a situation where they can ram through this type of legislation that is just thinly veiled voter suppression material. I was going to say, I feel like they always try and pin it on these foreign actors, these like um, immigrants coming in to vote illegally and and change their systems. And it's often just some conservative white guy who's who's tried to swindle the system. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on online voting? Um, I mean, to me, like Canada is such a vast country. It is so difficult to... Uh, make sure you have everyone participate. Mm-hmm. Um, I am completely in favor of it. I think that every barrier that exists between a person and actually getting their vote out, every barrier that comes down is a good thing. So minimalize it as much as you can, the whole registration process, because I don't believe that voter fraud is nearly a big enough issue to risk disenfranchising people who are just unable to logistically get out and vote. I have concerns, I guess, about hacking mostly, um, <clears throat> because any institution that has my information has been hacked at some point. Mm. And my information has gotten out who knows how many times and who knows, you know, how many people have my information. And so that's, I think, my biggest concern. I don't really trust the government to be able to put into place enough security measures to keep that from being hacked. 
Yeah. And yeah, I'm working for Elections Canada this year. I signed up to work for Elections Canada on polling day. And it sort of took me took me aback a moment because I noticed how much paper we are using. Everything is paper copy. There's nothing electronic. There's so many things that could be made electronic that just are not. And it just seems so tedious that we are still working with paper when we have so much technology at our fingertips. But then again, like on the other side is, is sort of, you know, the security of mm. everything. But it seems like just to, in terms of efficiency and like how you can like get more people to participate, it's like online voting just feels like is where we need to be going. And uh, mm-hmm. right now, like Estonia is the only country in the world that actually has online voting for everyone. Um, and it's a small country, but, you know, uh, once you get to a country like the size of Canada, your infrastructure needs to be like top notch because <laughs> yeah. you're, we are a prime target for cyber attacks. Yeah, for sure. But picture, picture this. I don't know how, uh, how Estonia has it set up, but imagine that you, you went to some official government webpage, you had your sign in your password and, you know, dual factor authentication, however many layers they want to put in to get you through into this website. And then you just put in your vote and it shows you your vote. And if anything is tampered with, like it says you have already voted or something, then you have contact information, people you can get in touch with to contest it at that point. I don't see a problem. So with it. We, we do have a system like that. Because it's the Canada Revenue Agency website, <laughs> which we all, you know, if we're using our, our SIN number, uh, social insurance uh, number, we can like log in. Uh, but I think the counterpoint to that is that's the exact system that was hacked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people's information, um, I forgot how many million, but you know. Uh, the, there were people's uh, accounts that were compromised. So the funny thing is, like, the uh, CRA website added more and more barriers to log in. So I think now to get into the website, you need a password. You then need a two-factor uh, authentication with your cell phone. And then there's like another challenge question that's associated <laughs> with it. So there's now like three barriers to get through. And it's actually probably the most annoying website <laughs> to log into. Sure, sure. But I still, I would still like something like that to be available. Hell, make it five barriers. That's totally fine by me. Just make it a service that's available for people who have trouble getting out to vote. I'm shocked, Rory. You're shocked? Yes, shocked I'm shocked by me. you want technology <laughs> to help you to vote. It is selective technology that I have difficulties with, Sherry. What if I am... they told you your phone? You have to vote on your phone. How many old people, how many Rory's would have trouble voting? Well, all right, you've got me in a bit of a box here. <laughs> I uh, I think that if uh, if it was only phone and you know it's phone or nothing, then they better supply me with a phone that can accomplish this task because. Otherwise, I feel disenfranchised without the latest iPhone model. <laughs> but that, like, I so can just see you, Rory, calling <laughs> call, calling up, see, uh, you know, the government. I'm I'm on my uh, uh, Microsoft, you know, with Windows ninety five. Where I'm where, on the where, MSN. where I go? I'm on the MSN guys. <laughs> C C DOS C DOS vote. <laughs> I have to type that in. <laughs> 
and you made a good point about like, you know, what are you going to do then? Because some people may not even have a phone, you know, how much yeah. technology do, you know, there are people in Canada who don't have access to the internet. So if we want to make it easier for them, how are these people going to vote? We would still need to have well, these physical polling on. stations. Hold on just one second. I think that's exactly it. I'm not claiming that having the option to vote online should become mutually exclusive from having oh, physical okay. polling stations. I'm not saying yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm saying have more ways that you can vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the idea of having more ways because then you, you you still will have the paper system because mm-hmm. you know, you know, granny uh, <laughs> is never Rory go- is gonna be coming down to that polling station <laughs> with his two pieces of mail because they didn't send him his car. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Forever, you know, the, the Rory's will always be there voting by paper, <laughs> even if it means taking out the walker <laughs> to drag yourself to the polling station. It's my, my exercise for the day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there's other people that I think it would greatly benefit from online voting. I, I'm thinking, you know, sure. young people. Exactly. Um, people in remote communities. I mean, this is... This is like the prime demographic you want to kind of capture. And the traditionally one of the more underrepresented groups when it comes to actually getting out and voting the younger populations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. You know, young, young people are the worst <laughs> when it comes to voting. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So I, I would, yeah, I would really love to see online voting happen. We're still at the paper stage. The U.S. is at least they have machines to vote. We're at the paper stage. We're not going anywhere fast. Yeah, I'm always shocked when I went to the polling station seeing the process. I'm just like, oh, you're just like tearing, you know, your voting card <laughs> off a, <laughs> like a, you know, a pack of paper. And then you're just handing it to me to just still put where we're at. I got to put it to a, you know, a cardboard box. I'm like, this is very... Very basic. <laughs> Don't even have punch cards yet. We're still back in the 60s. What is this? We cross names off a paper list instead of like yeah, taking them off. On, I know. You know. Yeah. I, what if one of these uh, election workers has like uh, a little bit of trouble with shaky hand and they cross off the wrong name? I mean, I feel like there's some human barriers that could come up through this process. I was a little concerned. I, I mentioned to you guys uh, before we start recording that the, the the polling person I was interacting with had like arthritis and was really struggling with anything with the pen. And I felt so bad because they were clearly in pain as they were trying to like yeah. cross my name. And it was like very wiggly. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> Look out that you don't get uh, Kenneth Brando or whoever's next to your name. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there, maybe. Okay. I we hope have so. more disenfranchised groups, though, or, uh, you know, groups that have more obstructions to voting. Um, so who else is screwed? <laughs> <laughs> one really interesting one I came across was incarcerated voters. Uh, so people who are in the prison system. And I found this really interesting, uh, their whole process that they go through. Um, okay. So in 1993, prisoners serving sentences of less than two years became eligible to vote. So up until 1993, they couldn't vote. At 1993, they said, okay, if you're serving less than two years, you can vote. 
that changed in 2002 with the Supreme Court of Canada. And because you're denying inmates the right to vote, certain inmates the right to vote, uh, which is like in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, it goes against that Charter and Rights and Freedoms. So um, they were able Mm -hmm. to sort of overturn that. And now all incarcerated Canadians have the right to vote in every institution has to have a um, designated liaison officer who's going to work with Elections Canada to facilitate this vote. So anyone in prison has the right to vote. And so, but in order to vote, you have to fill out, as a prisoner, you have to fill out a form called the Application for Registration and Special Ballot. Um, And you can request a form as soon as an election is called. Um, So with our SNAP election, it only really gives you a month as soon as this, uh, this is called. So there, you know, there are, it's not perfect. There are some, I feel like barriers still to this, that you have to request the ballot and that you can't request it until this election has been called. So next, the next question we would ask ourselves is, okay, well, where are these prisoners voting? Like what riding are they in? Um, so they determine a prisoner's riding a few different ways. Um, the residence before incarceration so if you had a resident residence before that before you were incarcerated, uh, that's your writing. If you don't have one of those, you do the residence of a spouse or a common law or a relative or a dependent. Uh, so you would be in that writing. If you don't have any of that, you would have the place of your arrest. And if you don't um, have that or you, they decide not to use that, you, you would use the last court where the prisoner was convicted and sentenced. So... You have a rioting if you are a prisoner. Um, it just depends on on all these other factors. And they do not vote on election day. Instead, they're voting on the 12th day before polling. So 12 days before our polling day on September 20th. So not only do they have to request this form, they can only request it when the election's been called. And then they have to do it 12 days before. They want time. How informed do you think they are? Well, that's the thing. So I've read some articles that say because they're just watching TV or reading all day that they are able to be better informed. But I don't know exactly. Like, especially if you're doing it 12 days before Election Day, like how much election coverage are you really able to take in in that amount of time? They don't have access to the Internet. Yeah, because like for me, like I can go on to people's platforms and like Mm -hmm. read, you know, everyone's white papers. But I just don't know for prisoners or how much information are they getting and, you know, how informed are they to actually make the choice that they believe is the right one for them. Absolutely. And we have people walking around our neighborhoods coming to canvas to us. Whereas if you're in a prison, they're not going to come to the prison to canvas to the prison. Right. So do you like the canvassers, though? (laughs) I don't want to talk to anyone. (laughs) I'm not home. (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, oh, that's like my worst. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably like my worst nightmare. Like people knock at my door like, oh, go away. (laughs) While it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't really want to talk to people canvassing at my house either, but it is good for some people you know people who can't get out of their house very much Mm -hmm. 
would like to speak to a representative, just even to see the representative's face is, is I think, a good thing to see that person in your neighborhood. To humanize them a little bit. They're not just mm-hmm. some abstract thing out there. They're a reality. They're a real person. Yeah, absolutely. So in the prison, there is a polling station that's set up from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., and you can go vote during that time. Now, the prisoners, in order to vote, they have to sign a declaration acknowledging that their name is correct, um, that they haven't voted yet, and that they will not vote a second time. So they're only going to vote one time. This is like a standard declaration if you... um, if you're needed to be vouched for in an election, that is a declaration you have to take as well. So um, just a standard declaration. And then the incarcerated voters are going to actually write the name of the candidate on the ballot. So they're not doing an X beside a name. They are physically writing out on the ballot, um, which we can see that as a deterrent as well. If you feel like you uh, are you know, very, um, uh, I don't know, embarrassed about your handwriting or spelling. If you, if you can't physically write it out very well, mm-hmm. all of these things could be a, be a bit of a barrier, right? Are there allowances if they misspell a candidate name? Yes, there are. I'll, yeah. So um, you're going to write the name of your candidate and then the ballots are taken. Um, they're opened and read out loud um, to an independent group of observers. So they're when they're taken away, they, they take them to this group, they're read aloud, and the group is going to agree on the voter's intention. So even if the name is misspelled, if you kind of write what you think is the correct name, uh, they will accept it even if it's misspelled. But it's this group of independent observers who's going to decide on this. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's about seven and a half percent of ballots that are rejected uh, from the federal system. So in 2015, uh, there were two, uh, sorry, 22,362 ballots that were cast and then 1,689 ballots were rejected. I'm not sure why they get rejected. Yeah, that would be interesting to look into for sure. Uh, but I couldn't really find any information on on that necessarily. But I can see, I mean, if you have the ability to write in something, that's definitely guaranteed. There's definitely going to be people that will abuse that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah. And and one big thing uh, that you, you guys kind of mentioned when we were talking about people walking around canvassing is you when you're in prison, you don't know the person in your writing um, necessarily. Uh, like you don't know anything about them, anything about their campaign. Um, and so they're kind of voting for somebody they don't know. They've never met, they've never interacted with. They're just kind of hoping their vote goes to the right place. Yeah. That that's, that's what I thought. It just feels like a very uninformed vote. Like you just don't know what the platform is, who, who's going to be representing you or who you would like to represent you. Yeah. It would be nice if there was some sort of effort to help get those people informed to vote, for sure. Mm-hmm. My mind, when you said there was rejected votes, though, perhaps this is my immaturity, but I thought, I bet those types of votes are the ones where they wrote, like, poopy McButt face or something as the <laughs> candidate that they want in. And so those are the kind of things that get rejected. 
I'm sad I already voted. I would vote for Poopy McButtface. <laughs> it's got a solid campaign. <laughs> I was I was picturing in my head SpongeBob for some reason. Yeah, just yeah, <laughs> just random things that uh, you know nonsense that you would have to throw out because mm-hmm. it, it's a joke. Potentially, who knows though? I'm I'm not totally sure. Maybe it's just handwriting that they can't at all read. Um, that would be bad. Like if you're you're persecuting someone because they they don't have good penmanship and they are actually trying to vote for a candidate but, but it's a committee that reviews it right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i would so hopefully there's... i would imagine you have more than one people yeah trying their best to understand <laughs> what is being written some safeguards to prevent just one guy from dismissing someone's vote out of hand you would hope um and, and it is a group of people and you would hope that they would be able to read it but like i don't know I don't know. I know that we have really good rates of um, literacy and, and things like that in Canada, but it's not perfect. And if you think about the people who fall through the cracks, they're probably the people who also end up incarcerated. And mm-hmm. so if you don't really know how to form letters very well or um, correctly, then, yeah, you may have issues voting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though you want to vote, more barriers to be removed. Yeah, yeah. I thought so. I thought I thought incarcerated voting was really interesting. It's something I didn't know very much about before. No, me either. It. Yeah, it's very informative. I'm glad they have the right to vote. I know there are places in the U.S. where they're not allowed to vote, or even people like you hear about Florida, where people who are incarcerated for an amount of time and then get out of jail then can't vote. Mm. Um, at all. And, and that just seems sad to me. It's so it's nice to know that in Canada, everyone, regardless, has the right to vote. Yeah, which which makes sense. I mean, we're, as a democratic society, you need to have, rep- you know, or get a rep- be represented uh, in the political system. Absolutely. I have a, a guilty confession, though. It's not to be taken seriously, but it did flash through my mind, such as when gravel and I'm stones already judging you. were being, <laughs> yeah, I, I trust you are, <laughs> when stones are being thrown at the, at the prime minister, when people will show mm-hmm. up at these rallies with their F Trudeau signs, a part of me, it flashes through my mind, like they get the same number of votes that I do. That really makes me sad on one level, but on another level, they have to because I can't start picking and choosing and applying my own good character test about who has the right to vote. Listen, I feel the same way. Like often when I hear, see postings from, you know, anti-vaxxers or, you know, stupidity from right wing, you know, activists in quotation. Yeah. Somebody I who always thinks... think, I always think in my head, my God, these people are voters. <laughs> <These> people. <laughs> what type of criteria are they using to choose a candidate? And I, I suspect it's not good. But and listen, sometimes because I'm an old, I'm I'm an old guy now. I'm, <laughs> you know, and I when I look at the youth, and sometimes I see you know these really dumb TikToks and whatever <laughs> postings. I'm just like, oh my god. These people are voters. 
I have a couple PPC uh, voting lawn signs in in my neighborhood. I didn't know they were there until the other day when my wife pointed them out. But now I'm going to be taking my dog on a walk specifically to those lawns. (laughs) 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 I just, to think that there are people like that in my neighborhood, I don't know. Oh. They're everywhere. They're in my neighborhood too. I reason enough the... to put that lawn or that sign on their lawn. Like <laughs> they proud, believe Sherry. in it. They believe in it so much that they're like, let's put this on my lawn. Isn't that nuts? It's just yeah. Yeah. But you know, we have we can't take their votes away no. <laughs> because it's the even though it pains me to say it. <laughs> but I can but, have my yeah. dog pee on their lawn. You sure can. Let me know where and they also... are. I'm gonna take her on a walk. <laughs> I think it's in part a good thing that a party like the PPC exists to just take all those super far right extremist votes and put them in a little tub of going nowhere because you're never (laughs) going to see the PPC get elected in anywhere. And so just take them away from, you know, the more moderate right wing party that they would otherwise be voting for and throw them in the trash bin. Mm -hmm. Fair, fair. Rory. Did you not see what happened in the U.S.? <laughs> I did, and I wasn't 2016. A 2016. I wasn't, I wasn't a believer until it happened, but when it happened, I was like, well, shite. <laughs> I, Kenny, did you, did you call that election before it happened? I knew Trump was going to get in before he got in. Did you call it as well? Um, so uh, I, I was, I didn't think he was going to win until I started seeing the the numbers that night. Mm. And then I went to bed early because I knew this is not <laughs> going to be was good. Over. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go to bed and just pretend. <laughs> what are your eyes? I don't know the, what the results are. A tragic story. A friend of mine in the graduate program, she stayed up like all night with her daughter because she told her daughter it was going to be a historic moment when a woman finally became president of the United States. And wah, wah. Wah, wah, <laughs> it didn't happen. And that yeah. broke my heart. Yeah. I was actually optimistic. I was actually um, hoping for the best, even <laughs> though I kind of knew that uh, regardless of the polling, it just felt like there were a lot of people that, really really hated her <laughs> and i wonder I, I knew it was gonna happen i could i don't know i just always think the worst of the u.s okay and do you want to do you want to put your money down on who's going to win the canadian <laughs> I, federal conservatives, election? conservatives you know but a minority i think it's conservatives but a minority i'm gonna i'm gonna bet against you this time sherry i think that despite what the polls say that there is a vocal minority of conservatives who are making it seem like they're they're winning more influence than they are. I'm predicting that uh, it's going to be another Trudeau minority by a narrow margin. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a prediction and say also a Trudeau minority uh, because uh, the PPC is going to siphon votes <laughs> away from the conservatives. Yes, <laughs> I'm gonna hope. I'm going to hope that that is the case. Um, And polling is often wrong. So, like, I'm not really following polling. I'm just thinking about, you know, voter um, emotion and and sort of what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Do you look at the lawn signs to kind of get a sense? A little bit, a little bit. 
Although Shauna Linkowitzer, I can't, I, I can't pronounce her name very well, but she's the NDP in my area and she came around the other day. And so now there's more orange signs than there was oh. before. So it, Probably because she was asking people, can I put a sign yes. up in your lawn? Yeah. 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 So I now I can't really say necessarily, but so she's gonna <laughs> siphon the votes away from the liberals. <laughs> you know what? We laugh, but that's that's been a real concern, and it's mm-hmm. been the basis between talks of mergers between liberals and NDP. But then you're just talking once again about the inevitable, disappointing two-party system, just like the states, where you have two choices, and they're both centrist enough that nobody's happy. But. That's what you what happens in the first past the post system. It is it's the the natural evolution. And so. we could talk even more about how first past the post is in itself a form of voter suppression, just because your vote mm-hmm. doesn't count the yeah. way that it should. It is exactly. Mm-hmm. We need to change it. Mm-hmm. I remember what but was anyways, it? Uh, yeah. Trudeau ran on the campaign of bringing us proportionate representation. Yeah, that never happened. But that would be yeah. one big step toward fighting voter suppression. Yeah. No, totally. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't totally know if he was going to be able to get that passed in Congress, but that was, I remember that was one of his campaign Mm -hmm. promises and I was really excited about that, but, uh, couldn't get it done. Uh, so that sucks, but we have one more, one more group who experiences, well, we have, I'm sure we have more, uh, especially in terms of racialized groups, uh, that are marginalized, but I have one more to talk about. And Rory, you're going to help me on this one. We're circling back to the students, aren't we? Circling back to students. Students. Oh, are we don't need them to vote. Votes. They are totally <laughs> those <unrepresented>. young people <laughs> because they don't vote, and that's the issue. And because there's so many barriers to them voting, for sure. And and the, and it gets so like you know, Kenny. I know you were joking, but people are so dismissive of the young vote because they just mm-hmm. don't show up, mm-hmm. and it's sad. Yeah. So, uh, in order to get- sorry, I, I was I was dismissing them because I'm I'm old and I'm just <laughs> harping on the young people. <laughs> you were joking, so. and and that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> um. But uh, to change this this attitude of students not voting, Elections Canada brought in a program um, uh, called the Vote on Campus program. And so it was going to get students to vote. So it's uh, allowing students who are living away at university and college the opportunity to cast a special ballot for their home riding. So they can cast this ballot that says, this is going to go to, you know, whatever riding I live in when I'm not living at university. Or they can update their address information so that they could vote in the riding where their campus is located. It was a great program. It really increased student voting. um, And it was designed to, you know, take away some of these barriers that youth face when they're living at home or frequently changing their address. Uh, Because, you know, uh, students are often, you know, moving to different locations um, based on, you know, where they're going to school. But even every year they might move to a different location just, you know, based on their price range, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so last fall in 2020, uh, because of COVID um, and elect, uh, what was cited as electoral uncertainty created by a minority government, they've taken away uh, the vote on campus 
program. And so what they mean by um, electoral uncertainty created by a minority government is that uh, and so this was uh, a quote from a spokesperson for the federal agency. They said the minority government meant it was difficult for Elections Canada to provide campus administrators with a clear timeline to secure the space required and help us recruit the election workers needed to deliver the program. Normally, this pro- process takes many months. And so mm-hmm. with this snap election, obviously, you can't um, can't get that done in that space and time. And because, you know, schooling systems, uh, public schools, campuses, they're limiting the amount of people out that are outside of that institution onto the campus. Uh, so that really hinders things as well. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of things like they didn't know when post-secondary students are going to return for on-campus instruction. Obviously they have, but last year we did, we had no idea if people were going to go back into the schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so Elections Canada decided to divert resources to ensure safe services for the electorate as a whole. Um, but they hope to offer, um that vote on campus program in the future. So it's not like it's, you know, a done deal that it's gone, but for this mm-hmm. year, at least. Yeah, they I, I, they definitely get a pass this year, but I think it's good to hear that, you know, Elections Canada um, has stated that they are committed to continuing the program for future elections. Yeah, absolutely. I use that program myself to vote on campus, so it is effective, and I do hope they bring it back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and if you think about all of these barriers that students face, transportation, how do I get to the polls? How do I know what poll to vote at? Um, You're probably in a new city, like this is just yeah. a very human thing, but you may not know where this polling station is just on account of everything's new you've, in mm-hmm. a place you've never been before. Absolutely. Yeah. And how do you get there? You have to plan a bus route to get there. Um, and then once you get there, Um, how do you like the anxiety of having to explain to the person I live on campus? I don't have any, anything that says I live on campus. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need from me? I don't have a bill that goes to my campus residence. Um, Exactly. Any of those things. Maybe I, you know, I don't have a printer or something. Rory is, (laughs) he's fighting (laughs) with his printer (laughs) right now. He's battering it with his fists. (laughs) But like, I can't afford a printer. (laughs) 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 Maybe students can't afford a printer, right? And and they can't print out their um, their banking information, and they don't have a phone because they can't afford a phone. I mean, most students now have a phone, but maybe their phone is not. Uh, like we know, Rory, your phone is, is not quite up to <laughs> just like 20th mine. century, 21st century. <laughs> we're living in the Rory. The I feel like this dial. entire episode, we're trying to just uh, <laughs> I am the quintessential disenfranchised <laughs> student, Kenny. <laughs> Rory has a crank for his phone, <laughs> just gotta wind it up. It's not a crank, it's a little nub. <laughs> So you are, Rory, you are representing our our disenfranchised student voter. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, Rory, to vote? (laughs) Well. I guess you have a residence, though, and you probably have some bills that get sent to that. It is not a residence on campus, but like a a house you're in. Yeah. Yeah, But as a student, Rory, did you see any, I guess, proactive 
advertisement from Elections Canada, like informing you on uh, how you can vote? Because there's mm. other options, right? There's, you know, there's mail-in voting. You could go to get a ballot from the Elections Canada office. Mm-hmm. Like, did were any options kind of provided to you as a student, or from any kind of I don't know what type of communications you might encounter. This is actually a tough question because it was several years ago when I did vote on campus, and I'm just having a hard time remembering exactly how easy the process was made to me. I all I could tell you is that they held it in the uh, university, the UCC campus building, in the middle of campus, and you just went there, and they had stations set up, and that's all I can really remember. But for for this election, you know, have you? I don't know, did you get an email from the university well, or anything like that to tell you like how what, what your options are given I did not, you know, vote on campus? I did not receive anything from the university for this upcoming election, but it is a bit different for me because I've been living in this city for close to a decade now, and I do have mail, I do have uh, hydro bills and things that come to me that I can prove my address with, and I haven't voted on campus for the last few elections. I've just gone to my actual polling station in the community. You deal with students uh, fairly frequently, though, uh, mm-hmm. in your interactions, you know, where you work and things like that and on campus. How are students feeling about voting in this election? Are any Is any of them talking about it? or? I wish I could bring you some... Some really recent firsthand news. Unfortunately, we're you're the we're man on of the, the people. <laughs> we're we're on the cusp of, uh, or you know, still coming off of a year where nobody was permitted on campus due to COVID restrictions. And the first official class that I'm going to be participating in as a teaching assistant isn't until next week. So I haven't seen my dear students again yet, and I. I can only speculate as to what sort of hurdles or thoughts they might be having. I knew it. They're all just busy with their TikToks. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly They're not it. thinking about the elections. <laughs> holding crazy maskless parties and threatening yeah. the entire exactly. school year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a little surprised. Like, I haven't seen anything e- either through... Um, uh, you know, targeted ads or anything like that on from Elections Canada on like specifically targeting the po- the student population that clearly won't be able to vote on campus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how how are they specifically going to uh, target these options? There are like you know other options that students could uh, utilize, but I haven't seen any like any any specific uh, either advertisements or. Uh, information targeting kind of the student groups? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And and maybe if I actually were living on campus or, or an undergrad, maybe they would have supplied this sort of information to me as opposed to just being a London resident as I am right now. But if I were a student and I wasn't receiving that kind of information, I would be getting a little concerned and contemplating maybe not voting if I don't know where I should vote. It's too much trouble to track it down. I, I can, I mean, I can definitely see, you know, students if they don't, if they aren't provided this information, they're worried about, you know, the upcoming exams, right? Yeah. And dealing with COVID and things like that. The, it's the start of the new school not year. Be top of mind. It's a lot. It's a lot being piled on students right now for them to be also concerned with getting out and getting their vote in. But hopefully they they rise to the challenge and we see record 
numbers of young people come out to vote. Keeping the optimism, I, Kenny. I doubt it. Keep the optimism, <laughs> Kenny. <laughs> I doubt it. I'm being a grumpy old man here. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I hope you rise to the challenge, Rory, our designated student voter. I'm on it, Sherry. And I, I will lead by example. People will see me with my two effectively printed off pieces of mail going to the polling station to get my vote in. Awesome. Yeah, we look forward to uh, hearing back from your adventures <laughs> on voting. Hopefully they're not too eventful. <laughs> nice, quiet voting session. That's what I'm hoping for. It's not too you bad. You don't look polls. like a student. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get that sometimes. Denied. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not too bad at the polls right now. It's it's uh, When I went, it was really quick and didn't have to wait in any kind of lines or anything. So I've hoping... never had a, a terribly inconvenient experience with going in and voting. I've always been done within a half hour of mm-hmm. arriving at the polling station. You hear the horror stories of from our neighbors down south of the lines that are six hours long and really testing the will of people who want to get a vote in. I can only speculate about what's going on to create that situation. ID confirmation. ID confirmation. Voter suppression of another kind. Mm -hmm. We're pretty lucky that uh, ours is really fast and though it's paper, it is efficient. (laughs) Though it's paper, it's efficient. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got, guys. Go vote is what we should tell people. Go vote. Exactly. If you if this comes out before voting, yeah. go vote. We're, we're proud of you for having voted, everyone. <laughs> exactly. If everyone listening who voted. Yeah. Anyone who's voted already, thank you for your contributions. You've done a great job. And if you did not vote, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Get out there next time. We're not giving up on you. Get voting. Thank you to those who who voted and We'll talk next time. Yeah, cross your fingers on what the results are. Think happy thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, everyone. All right, bye. See ya. Bye. I'm not going to say anything else because I'm getting myself in trouble. (laughs) (laughs)